Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. I'm Enoch Daniel. Like a lot of men of a certain age, my good friend Sosh and I have felt a sense of dissatisfaction. We're settled and successful, but we also have our struggles and personal demons. For the past couple of years, we've been on a journey to become better men. By that, I mean better husbands, better fathers, better human beings, just better at this thing called life. And now we've decided to share that journey with you and invite you along for the ride. We'll be speaking with each other, as well as others with wisdom to share, and hopefully some of you. We're here to ask the important questions, such as, how can we be better men and still tell dick jokes? And what can a couple of bros learn about the path to enlightenment anyway? Let's find out and become better together. Get jacked on mindfulness, philosophy, mental health, and connection. Starting right now. Welp, you may have noticed, but we took a little hiatus, but the bros are back, hopefully better than ever. We have one hell of a show for you this week. We are rapping with none other than Michael Miller, not to be confused with the other Eminem. I was fortunate enough to meet Michael during Seth Godin's podcast workshop. And the more I found out about him, the more blown away I was. He has been studying Vedic meditation for well over a decade. And he is the co-founder of the London and New York Meditation Centers. And he is such a cool guy and gracious and kind. He also has his own podcast, which is better than ours. So you should probably just hit pause and go look up Speaking of Meditation right now. Wait, are you still here? Okay. If you do stick around, you are in for a fantastic, fun conversation. We cover Michael's journey into meditation, not as linear as you may think. Eminem does come up as well as the Beatles and Elvis. We bag on Kale a little bit and we talk a lot about meditation. We discuss how to get into Vedic meditation, what sort of ways you can expect it to improve your life, why it can be dangerous to go down a mindfulness practice without any sort of guide or helper, how Vedic meditation is different from other forms of meditation, how it differs from transcendental meditation, spoiler alert, it doesn't, and whether meditation can make us better lovers. No spoilers there. You have to stay tuned to find out. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into the conversation. So welcome everyone to the Brody Sattva podcast. We are so excited this week to have Michael Miller. Michael is the co-founder of both the London Meditation Center and the New York Meditation Center. He teaches Vedic meditation full-time. He's recognized as one of the leading experts in the field. He has taught literally thousands of people how to meditate, ranging from individual lessons to group settings to corporate training with Wall Street and big tech firms. These are companies you may have heard of, people like Apple, Google, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs. He's been featured in national and international press multiple times. He's highly sought after as a speaker and a teacher. He's sort of a big deal, and we are just so pleased and proud and humbled to have him on our show today. So, Michael... 
Welcome to the Brody Safa Podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm, I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness. So, <laughs> we're we're sort, of a, we're sort of a big deal, too. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start, start it out. Um, I am a little disappointed, Enoch. I thought this was the other Eminem you said. <laughs> <laughs> I just, but I, you know, the universe, he's doing the best he can with what he's got. next next week next week we'll have we'll 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 have him on don't worry you you will not hear me rapping in any way because even the actual eminem rapping is borderline and uh this guy forget it forget it huh that's that's totally fair we'll try to stay in your wheelhouse michael (laughs) that's totally fair i appreciate that so if you, anybody who's not familiar with our show, in short, we're, we're just two middle-aged men, you know, a couple of bros, BFFs from way back. We've, we've always sort of been seekers. Uh, but over the past couple of years, you know, uh, we've had some struggles of really taking stock of our lives, trying to figure out ways to become better men. Um, you know, we would love to be 10% happier, but really we'll just take 10% less shitty. Uh, we use a lot of humor and irreverence here, but we're very serious about our journey, and that's why we love to talk with people like you, who clearly know more than we do and might have some wisdom to share. So that's why you're here. All right. Excellent. So I guess just to start off, I'm really curious about your journey. You know, you started out in business and entertainment, Sound seemed like you were very successful on that path, and then you, you really took this big shift in your life, and now you are in the meditation world full time. Uh, can you kind of take us back there and kind of give us a little detail how that happened? Yeah, definitely. And, and it, I, I mean, I feel looking back, it feels interesting to me because a lot of my life didn't, it, it was a bit all over the place. Actually, meditation is a, is a bit coming back to myself. I, mm-hmm. growing up, you know, I grew up in a, in a small town suburb in Iowa and Always Midwest felt boy, love it. Midwest, and and always felt like I didn't belong. I felt like an alien, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I I went to the local state university uh, where my parents had met, and you know hadn't my my horizon wasn't that expansive, but I was doing some interesting things. Uh, you know, I I. I was a swimmer in high school. I did a lot of theater and a lot of music, and I was not destined, I think, from early on for normality. And uh, and I kind we can, of we can sympathize with that feeling. Yeah, yeah we get that. Yeah, I can, I can see it already. Overrated, way overrated. <laughs> so I I became a theater major, kind of by default like I didn't know what else to do that was something that was interesting enough to keep my attention and keep me going to class and I had an acting professor who had meditated a lot in the 60s and 70s and Hmm. he was you know he was a bit out there and he gave us a little time in class to give it a try didn't really give us any instruction just said close your eyes or maybe you want to stare at something to help control your mind and to this day, I can remember that first moment. I I sat down and I chose to stare at a tennis ball. And, you know, 10 minutes of staring at a tennis ball is a long time. Tennis ball is mm-hmm. not that interesting. My mind was all <laughs> over the place. And something happened. Or maybe looking back, something must have happened because a hook got set. 
Mm-hmm. And and there was this sense that there is something here. There's something interesting. There's something worth exploring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometime in that same period, I did my first sun salutation way before yoga was a thing. And you were yoga before yoga was cool? Yeah. Before <laughs> anybody, you know, I'm sure I didn't even call it yoga. It was just some exercise that we did. Right. And... That stayed in my life. I ended up moving to Seattle and going to graduate school, and I did some martial arts, and I got involved in body work and energy work. You know, Seattle in the 90s, I'm sure there were there was more than one drum circle, let's just say. And <laughs> It wasn't just it grunge? Was a, it was, no, I, was, I, thought, I thought it was just like Eddie Vedder and Starbucks, and that was it. No, You're this, telling me like martial arts? And, yeah, uh, it was all – ha- it was an amazing time in Seattle, actually. I look back on it really fondly because, you know, musician the, – the grunge movement was a big part of it, but artists and, and theater practitioners and dancers, you know, there was this real artistic cultural moment that happened there. And Microsoft was big – uh, Starbucks was really just coming up. There wasn't a crazy mm-hmm. coffee culture yet. And it was really interesting time. I kind of moved out of performance and into producing and, and marketing live theater, um, which was the start of a, a business career in in that world and in adjacent worlds, which turned out to be really enjoyable. I liked being around the people. I liked employing skills that I'd learned in school in a way that actually earned me um, a reasonable living versus acting, which I did for a few years, but it was more intriguing after a while to to be on the the other side. I ended up then moving to Los Angeles with, with a girlfriend, doing various things there, kind of jumping from job to job and almost career path to career path. I ended up in, in publishing, working for an entertainment magazine. So I was still mm-hmm. entertainment adjacent. It was quite glamorous and interesting, and I was on a corporate kind of executive track. Mm-hmm. And it was it was hard work. I was putting in a lot of hours. I was playing really hard. You know, this was L.A. in the early 2000s and cocktail culture and there's a fair amount of misbehavior and so i i you know i was on this corporate executive track at at this magazine and it was interesting but it was a lot of hours and i was playing too hard and misbehaving and i was feeling the unsustainability of my life and then a a mm-hmm. woman that i was seeing learned to meditate and i saw such a change in her and and you know she was happy to the point of mania and she learned to meditate and she calmed down she made a big change in her work situation that she'd been talking about making for some time and i thought there's something to this i should go and hear a little bit more about it so the next time her teacher was in town i went and it was just boom it was a it was a real moment because i looked at this person his name's tom knowles he became my teacher and i he had something that I wanted. He had a calm and a clarity and a gravitas, and mm. you know, he could speak in a way that was spontaneous and yet thoughtful. And I thought, I don't know how you got to where you are, but you're telling mm-hmm. me it was meditation. 
and I'm willing to re-engage with that because I had let all that part of my life go completely and I thought I will do it sure. I'll do it and I jumped in and I took the course and it was a it was a complete pivot point in my life it's so powerful to meet somebody like that that you just you, you look at them and their life and think uh, how do I get that <laughs> how do I do that for mm. myself do you mind me asking, how old were you? Uh, it sounded because you were kind of seeking at that time, it sounds like, before you even stumbled across the uh, the meditation avenue. But how old were you then? Uh, I was in my mid-30s when I, okay. when I uh, kind of learned for real. I, I would call myself a meditation dabbler up to that point. And right, when I really right. learned to do it and then did it regularly, mid-30s. That's great. That's Probably great. A, a time that... As men, we we reevaluate to a degree. You know, I had not done a lot of the things that would be transitioned to adulthood. You know, I hadn't been married. I hadn't bought mm-hmm. real estate. You know, I had a bunch of different jobs. But, I, you know, I was, I was living an interesting life, and I was having a good time. But I maybe I hadn't taken those traditional steps, which I never – did in many ways maybe i still maybe i still haven't and uh it was a moment that that i i felt ready to upgrade yeah it's funny and i think like we as two men who have taken a lot of those traditional steps have married multiple children but you know the house and kids in the suburbs kind of and uh and and reached you know i always think like i've sort of reached the pinnacle of success in my chosen career path and and you get to a point where you uh you, you look around and and you've got all the material trappings of success and adulthood and manhood and you think well is this it like <laughs> you know is there there's got to be something more like something something's missing here and that's sort of where we've been on our journey as well i i think you're right and and fortunate that you are discovering that as early as you have because I remember teaching a guy a few years ago and he was in his kind of early mid-60s hmm. and New York lawyer, real estate developer, very successful monetarily. His doctor had sent him along. He was wrapping up a very painful and expensive divorce and his adult children were not speaking to him and mm-hmm. his new girlfriend was about to kick him out and his doctor had said look you're going to have a second heart attack you need to change something and he My shared psychiatrist loves to tell me stories about men like this yeah, and he <laughs> you know he shared oh and also i'm keeping a bottle in my desk drawer at work and mm-hmm. life had to get that bad for him to consider changing and mm-hmm. you know, th- the the digits in the bank account and the new young girlfriend and the multiple holiday homes could no longer pave over what was a gap a, a vacuum in some place mm-hmm. in in his life and uh, and meditation was transformative for him from from the first moment he was not the kind of guy you would look at and think he was a candidate for meditation but Hmm. when he came to it it was absolutely the right time and i think everybody comes to this work 
however you address it, whether that's through therapy or whether that's through meditation or whether that's through some more structured spiritual experience, everybody comes to it at the right time and in the way that is best for them. Hmm. What is, what's the old, uh, old saying, uh, you know, when you're ready, the universe will provide a teacher kind of thing, you know, with, when it's time, it's there. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, I, I'm ready, and uh... <laughs> we're we're yeah we're we're thinking about that guy's story and thinking like we'd like to like, we'd like to get better without scraping rock bottom. Like maybe we can stop before I, 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 we I already, get to the bottom of the well. <laughs> I, I feel like I already did that, you know. And uh, Michael, I'm I'm going on about two years. Um, I'll say clean. I'm not going to say sober because I don't feel as though I've reached. Maybe, and, and I would kind of argue that I had I have not reached my rock bottom yet uh, because um, I've gotten rid of all the substances, but I still have all. It's a moment. It's we, you know, uh, Enoch and I were talking about. It, it's like I just noticed how crappy the mess is around me now, whereas mm. before I, I didn't, and uh, so I still have all the underlying demons, and they don't seem to be getting less. But I don't, you know. So I think I'm ready. Who's the teacher? <laughs> well, you know, the the 12-step program would call you a dry drunk, which exactly. is Exactly. which that's is what I feel like. Yeah, I'm I'm not using but the baseline patterns that lead to hmm. substance abuse are are there. This sense of lack, this sense of hmm brokenness or or at least incompleteness that we try to fill and and how do people try to fill or cover that up in all of those ways that they call coping mechanisms i drink or i eat or i drown myself in you know watching too much netflix or mm. you know we can we can Think of all the more significant and serious ways that people people sure. do that in career. You know, if I can only make this much more or make this next big deal or buy out that new company. Or, or if I just keep running, you know, just, just yeah. keep moving. Or maybe if I can mm -hmm. go to space, then, right. then I'll be whole. <laughs> then I'll feel better. <laughs> you know, then I'm not going to feel like a little boy inside somewhere. If I, you know, if I can just ride a giant... Uh, phallic symbol <laughs> into the upper atmosphere, then I'm going to be okay. And clearly these people are not okay. So, you know, the, the thing is doing the work on your own without wise and trusted counsel is you, we end up reinventing the wheel. Hmm. So people will ask me, why, why do I need to learn to meditate? You know, it, if this is a natural experience then why do i need a teacher why do i need a technique can i just figure it out and i say you can absolutely can in the same way that i could figure out how to build a bicycle it would be hard work i've got to you know figure out how to work metal and you know i'm gonna to have to learn to weld and I'm going to draw design. I've, you know, I've got a basic understanding of how bicycles work. There's right. wheels and there's a drive chain and there's steering column. It would probably take me years 
mm-hmm. maybe a decade <laughs> mm-hmm. to come up with a bicycle that would be a bit rattle trap. The other option is that I go down to that fancy Italian bike shop and I get a machine that has 150 years of research and mm. revision and refinement all embodied in it. And mm. then I can get on that bike and ride. And what I'm interested in is riding. I'm not actually interested in inventing the bicycle. And you can kind of stumble your way to enlightenment. Or you can get a guide on the path. And mm. it takes some searching. And, it, you know, in a certain way, we live in fortunate times. You, know, you can download a meditation app on your phone, and that is a different mm-hmm. thing. Now, we can have a separate discussion about whether that's really quite meditation. I think that's a little bit like learning to swim from a YouTube video. You know, you're going to get some <laughs> interesting hints, but you really want somebody in the pool with you who knows how to swim. And yeah. you really want, if it's meditation, you want personal instruction from somebody who knows what they're doing, who is trained in a proven methodology, not someone who watched a few YouTube videos and then, you know, came up with a catchy Instagram handle and is putting themselves <laughs> forward as a weekend meditation warrior. You know, the the tradition that I trained in has been around for 5,000 years. We take a good feeling from that. This has passed the test of time. It was not even some sociologist in the 70s who came up with it. This goes back, and that proven track record tells us something about the efficacy. Finding something that resonates with you, something that has a history to it, has great value. And for us, you know, as people who come from a culture that there's less wisdom in Western culture that has been less valued, certainly in our mm. recent history. And and so often people find themselves looking outside of their personal culture because wisdom has been a part of India and Japan and China and mm-hmm. to you know, a slightly different extent to South America and and to the African nations. There has been intentional cultivation of wisdom for personal development. And hmm. we maybe got a bit distracted by capitalism. <laughs> well, in, uh, in fact, our personal development uh, industry is just that in this country, or in America. It's, a, it's an industry. You know, it's part of the capitalist machine. Um, that's interesting. That's such a great explanation. I, uh, so did I, think... did I get to where, what you were asking? Because I, I went off on a tangent there. No, it was, it was a beautiful tangent. Um, I just want to know where to sign up. Fly out to and, and spend a week so that yeah. I can I can get taught. We'll meet we'll meet in New York. Let's meet in New okay. York and we'll do it there. All that right. sounds awesome. So yeah, I, I I love what you said about finding a teacher. Like I I had an experience. I actually wrote about it. Did a little article in Elephant Journal not that long ago about the fact that I had an interesting experience where I was struggling with depression 
and started exploring mindfulness and meditation on my own. Got a couple of books and I would get up at five o'clock every morning and sit in the dark for 20, 30 minutes at a time and found myself day after day and week after week spiraling into a darker and darker place mm. <laughs> until where I, I became suicidal. I mean, it was not a good thing until my wife, who's always the, uh, the reasonable one in the house says, maybe you should lay off the meditation for a little while. <laughs> Quit hitting the, yeah. the pipe. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I've gone back to it, but I've, I've also been a little more guarded and a little more willing to seek out help and guidance in it, and uh, and and not just trust my trust my own uh, inner insight and like, well, you know, I'm a smart guy, I can figure this stuff out. Hmm. <laughs> yes, there's what was smart is that you took advice from your wife, which is always the thing to do. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> if, My smartest moments. If, if your wife is woman. giving you advice, listen, because they, you know, w women are more in tune with these things. You know, they've had to be in order to survive in in the world, and mm -hmm. they are. You know, women observe men because we live in a patriarchy, and mm -hmm. the people who are not in power always know more about the people who are in power than mm. those people know about themselves. And so wow, yeah. listening, listening to the wise women in your life is always, oh, always a good idea. And I've always, I always say that uh, there's a reason that married men live longer. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. And there's a reason that married women uh, are less happy. And <laughs> that is science, it's, it's and science. and you it's your it. responsibility to make sure your wife is not one of those women. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is sound sound advice. I love it. So uh, to, to get us just kind of back on the path we were following uh, just a little while ago, I'm, I'm curious. So you went to this meditation course, a light bulb went off, and you're like, I want to learn from this man, Tom Knowles. Is yes. That, is that the, yep. Um, Where did you go from from you know? Hey, I'm working in this in, in at a magazine and fairly successful and trying meditation again. To like, I'm going to go be a meditation teacher. Like, where did that transition happen? It was, it was about a year. So I I started assisting Tom. I you know I kind of I I did the the course for four sessions over four days and mm -hmm. and it just it clicked for me. And there was every reason for it to not not to for me to not do it in that I was very busy with work and, and with social life and I could have just mm -hmm. sort of done this interesting thing and thought well that was interesting but something about it grabbed me and I kept doing it and mm -hmm. pretty quickly I was sleeping less but feeling more rested I was mm -hmm. more focused at work I was getting more done I was working on the the right things instead of doing lots of tasks and, and merely being busy and and so I could see there were there were benefits, and I wanted to be around my teacher more. And so I started assisting and showing up and setting up chairs and, you know, opening the door for people who were new and and just offering to help out however I I could. And you showed up. You showed up and you bought in and and kept reaping those benefits. Absolutely, That's great. absolutely. And you know when you hear. 
When you hear a person who's in an elevated state speaking regularly, that begins to infuse you. You know, so I was not only meditating regularly, but and getting that consciousness upgrade, but I was getting an, an upgrade of my intellectual understanding of why meditation works and how the laws of nature operate so that we can be in alignment with them. And mm -hmm. and so it was it was a fast track education. It became clear that, that my job was starting to come to an end. And I, I would attribute my recognition of that again to meditation. I could see that either I was going to wrap it up or it was going to be wrapped up for me. And and so... And I, you just had that awareness because of the work you've been doing? Yeah, I think, but I think the signs were there. The signs were there mm -hmm. that the, the, the end of the road was coming. And mm -hmm. I called my teacher and I said, listen, this, this job is, is wrapping up and I know you know a lot of people, you have a lot of students in LA, in, in the entertainment industry. If you know anyone I should talk to, let me know. And if I can do anything more for you, let me know. And uh, I just left a message. Mm -hmm. And then I got a call at, I, I, sh I should check this, but I, I think it was a Tuesday it was about 11 in the morning, and uh, on the call, he said, here's what you should do. I am, I'm leading a teacher training right now, and I could use a little bit of assistance. So why don't you come to my home in Arizona? You can help me out with, with these people who are almost done with their training. You can do some additional study. Then we'll go to India together. Oh, wow. And then we'll figure out what happens next. And uh, and I said, uh, uh, I'm at work. Can I call you back? <laughs> <laughs> this is all very sudden, sir. <laughs> and it was very sudden. Uh, two days later, I had submitted my resignation and I sublet my my apartment and a week and a half later, I was in the car driving to Arizona in a way that made no sense. Like, I yeah. did not know how I would pay rent the following month. I had mm. cashed in all my airline miles to organize uh, <laughs> a flight to India. But really, you know, no no financial advisor would have said this was a good idea. Right. And And it was just clearly the right thing. And Those so, are my favorite kind of stories. It when was, somebody like listens to the universe and says, you know, none of this makes sense. I'm going to take this leap. And then it works out. It was a leap. <laughs> it it was really guys, a leap. Okay, did those guys have young children? And <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. Job. You know, it was a different, it, I was in my mid-30s, but I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't paying a mortgage. You know, the worst that was going to happen sure. is I'd get kicked out of an apartment that was a bit of a grim space anyway. You know, it was not that big of a deal. <laughs> and still, you know, a big, a big leap. And, yeah. you know, I witnessed this group of people learning to be meditation teachers. And I was doing, you know, extended yoga and meditation programs every day. And I was listening mm -hmm. to my teacher, uh, both recorded lectures and then in person for eight or 10 hours every day. Oh, and wow. 
for three weeks, I just absolutely soaked myself. And then I went to India and swam in the Ganges in the very north mm. where it's clean and cold and, you mm. know, could you can see the Himalayas. And it is a remarkable place that I've been, been to many times since. And there was no... There was no going back at that point. Wow. Um, I also, on that trip, met my, my now partner, Jillian. And, and that was a big part of that transition, you know, coming back to, mm-hmm. you know, women will transform your lives. Right. You know, absolutely. And that was unanticipated. You know, there were a lot of, you know, there were 30 people on, on this trip to India. And, you know, really interesting, evolved cool people and she lived in London and I lived in Los Angeles and you know we met each other and and kind of hit it off but we were half a globe apart practically and uh, you know that was another leap to reach out by email and start having phone calls and decide to see each other and then you know again pack up my life and move to London after only eight months of hanging out that's so cool mm. Mm. Where's and your then accent? shortly thereafter go ahead i was gonna say where's your accent michael i mean <laughs> you know i think Madonna, madonna got one in like three months i know there <laughs> <laughs> there are just a few things that you'll hear me at some some point say i'll say process i might say schedule <laughs> aluminium uh, i might check my diary instead of looking at my calendar you know, a nice. few a few <laughs> things have changed, but you know, I I hear you guys. I I can get right back into it. I can get on down <laughs> to to the Brits. I'm still painfully American, but oh, to sure. to my friends, I'm sort of obnoxiously English. <laughs> yeah, I remember the the one time I was in London, I was uh, walking along after we'd seen some show, and I was trying to find the tube station. And I asked some some stranger, you know, if he could give us a direction, and he just looked at me like disdainfully. He said, "What a dreadful accent." <laughs> Thanks a lot, jerk. <laughs> uh, wanker would be the term. Yeah, wanker. 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 Yeah, he was a total wanker. <laughs> so, did you guys shortly thereafter uh, move plans forward for the uh, for the London Meditation Center? Or Jillian was over time. Jillian was already a teacher, so she was living in London. She had become a, a teacher. So, this I moved here in 2005. She had finished her training in 2003. She was um, she was working in the city of London, um, running mm. a, a publishing company, and um, and teaching on on the weekends. And mm. I came along. I had a skill set in marketing and sure. and the web. And so, for a couple of years, as I continued my training, we kind of ramped up her her business. And then I went away um, again to India and to Arizona for three and a half months full-time in residence training um, to finish my teacher training. And then in 2007, I finished that. Early 2008, we we created both London Meditation Center and and New York Meditation Center. And so with a couple of years of work behind the scenes, you know, at that point, Mm -hmm. she was able to leave her role and and we could teach full full time and that was a moment when 
meditation was really starting to get some some traction. Sure. You know, you sure. you know the Headspace guy Andy Puttacombe was here in London, and he was you know giving talks to thirty or forty people for at different corporates. There was not, mm-hmm. you know, there was not an app store. There was not an app at that point, and yeah. uh, you know we <laughs> we we got the URL. London Meditation Center and New York Meditation Center. And at that time, Google was really interested in your URL. So if you typed yeah. Learn to Meditate London, boom, we popped right up. Yeah. Heck yeah. And I was going to say, those are, those are pretty prime uh, URLs. Yeah. Uh, you, but you, you, cut, you cut before the wave. We, we caught it at the right, <laughs> the right moment. And, you know, it was interesting because still meditation was a bit out there. You know, if, if, if you looked at one of the other websites, you would see people with shaven heads and beads who had names that didn't seem to match the culture that they grew up in. And, you know, it was, sure. it was very religious-based. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you were a trader in Wall Street, you wouldn't have looked and thought, oh, this looks like it's for, for me. <laughs> And this was built for me. Yeah, Look at exactly. This. <laughs> and and we created sites that were, you know, normal and a little bit corporate, and therefore sure. spoke to people who maybe wouldn't, again, be be the first candidate for meditation, but were right. hearing that oh, there's this thing that can help me feel less stressed and less anxious and sleep better, and get things done in my life, actually perform better. And, and you're not preaching to the choir. You know, you're, you're, you're reaching out to people who might need, you know, the, the corporate banker or the, the person who works in a, a busy firm in, in central London is going to be some of the most stressed out people on the planet. Like, those are people who need this. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, they don't ne- – they, they're not coming looking for a change in their lifestyle. And I always say, right. you know, you do not have to change anything. You don't have to stop drinking coffee and commit to kale juice. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, this needs to fit into your life. And part of this is the history of this technique. Vedic meditation comes from a tradition of what we would call householders, people who are in the world. The early masters of this tradition had jobs and responsibilities and, and families. They were not mm. monks. And many mm. meditation techniques – and and you know, I would say that you know this is part of what you came up against with that practice that sent you down to a little dark moment is that mm-hmm. many practices are designed for people who want to disengage from the world, hmm. who who don't want to be in relationships and never did. And mm. don't want to be acquiring material goods and never have. And so th- these people, renunciates, designed techniques that, were, that worked for them. You know, they could sit in a room by themselves for hours at a time and created those feelings in them strengthened hmm. those tendencies. And if you are someone who has a family and a job, sitting in a room by yourself in the dark for four hours is difficult to work out. If you manage to do it, 
it can start to create a disengagement and a disconnection from mm-hmm. the people you care about and from the world you're engaged in. And a technique that is designed and developed by people who want the opposite, who want connection and integration and engagement feels very different. And also it's practical, you know, meditate 20 minutes twice a day, get up, do Mm -hmm. it before breakfast, get in and on with your day. And then before dinner, sit down for 20 minutes, close your eyes. You can be in a chair, you can be sitting on your bed, you can do it on the train on your way home. You can pull your car over a block from home and sit in the car and do it before you pull into the driveway. You you can Mm -hmm. do it on the move and in a way that is practical for you. And that practicality is part of what makes it work. Because if you're doing it regularly, it works. And working needs to mean it contributes to your life. When I teach, I just finished a course this weekend. And uh, we were talking about what we call the maybe it's meditation research. When you learn, watch for things that change in your life. Because you're not meditating for the meditation for the <laughs> 20 minutes twice a day. Let's call it an hour. You know, let's say... It's not, you, it's not just to get better at sitting still. <laughs> no, exactly. And it's not just sitting. It is meditating. You're doing something. And then what I'm interested in, what happens in the other 23 hours? I actually don't really care what happens during meditation. You know, does it hmm. feel great? Most of the time it feels quite good. Does it always feel good? No, it doesn't have to. It doesn't always feel good to go to the gym. But later, I'm glad I went to the gym. I don't go to the gym. uh, Well, I don't go to the gym at all. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's get clear. Me me either, brother. I'm glad we're getting that off our chest. I don't don't exercise in (laughs) in order to... simply enjoy the exercise. Although often that feels quite good. I exercise so that when I have to run for the bus, I can do it. That's a great explanation. I, uh, it was a really beautiful explanation of some of the, uh, the pitfalls of certain types of meditation that I had never thought about in that light. And I really appreciate you sharing that. That was great. Mm. Yeah, it was. It also led me to maybe retitle it, uh, something like bones of steel, abs of steel, the uh, 20 minute workout I feel like uh meditation of steel or, i don't know there's there's got to be a good the phrase there i was about to say you're the marketing guy we'll leave it, we'll leave it to the marketing guy <laughs> yeah, i think make, uh... it, make this work i just want i just give me my two percent <laughs> <laughs> This is a really nice segue because if you could give us a little explanation, what is when you say Vedic meditation? What is Vedic meditation? What is that? What does that mean? The way it's practiced is. You sit in a chair and you close your eyes and you think to yourself a little sound, a little mantra that is chosen and personalized for you by the teacher. Because it is personal to you, the mantra has two effects. So mantra is a Sanskrit word, comes from two base words, manas for mind and tra for vehicle or instrument. Hmm literally a mind vehicle, something that your mind climbs onto and gets carried somewhere else. So Hmm. as you think silently inside this little meaningless sound, it begins to self-refine. It gets more quiet and more subtle. At the same time, the mantra is very fascinating. It's very charming to your mind. 
And this is the way your mind works. Your mind is always looking for what's interesting, what's charming. So the mantra is getting more quiet, and the mind is following the mantra down into quieter layers of thinking. Mantra getting very fine, very subtle, mind in the most subtle of thought. Then the mantra does its final trick. It disappears. And for a moment, your mind is left in this state of no mantra, no thought. Just pure awareness, a field of being. And that field, this is your ground state. This is the source of your energy and your intelligence and your organizing power and your creativity and your happiness. So you come out of that 20 minutes. You come out feeling clear and mentally refreshed and emotionally balanced, kind of psychically reengaged. And at the same time, whatever happens in your mind happens in your body. So when the mind settles down like that, as is the mind, so is the body. Mind settles, body moves into a very restful state. And the, the studies on this technique show that in a few minutes, you're resting much more deeply than sleep. So you get this really profound rest for 20 minutes. And that is transformative. You know, think about how yeah. you feel if you have a great night's sleep versus a poor night's sleep. You're, you are a different human being the whole next day. And sure. that happens immediately. You know, this is not something you have to practice for months and get good at. In these few days, over the last four days with this group of people that I had this weekend, you know, they were in their Maybe It's Meditation research project reporting back, oh, I noticed I was really in the moment having a conversation with someone. I was really listening to them. Or hmm. I didn't sleep great last night, but I woke up this morning and I meditated, and now I feel absolutely fine as though I did get a good night's sleep. One guy hmm. said, I, know, I have been so thirsty this weekend. You know, he had background dehydration. He's not a guy who pays attention <laughs> and takes of care of himself, but clear away some fatigue, eject some stress, and all of a sudden you can detect what you need. Nobody drank kale juice. Not necessary. <laughs> I'm not anti-kale juice. Well, actually, I might be a little bit. You, you I might be a little anti-kale. Look, I love fucking spinach, all right? Spinach is God's, God's gift to us. Kale is the devil, right? It's the devil trick. Jim Gaff just well Jim Gaffigan, cooked. Well cooked. Jim Gaffigan has a has a bit about how he was at his kid's school and uh, some woman was like, uh, said she she said she made some brownies. She said I snuck some kale in there. And he's like, I just wanted to strangle her. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put kale in your brownies. Just have a brownie. No. Yeah, I'm not gonna put. You're not gonna put THC. I don't know, Michael. I gotta say, I gotta say, you make it sound too easy. It feels you like know, a trick. Feels yeah, like I'm gonna I, go. I understand. It like, and it is like I'm gonna go home and then right. <laughs> I transform. Just and like I, that. Just like that. I'm all right, all right, all right. That, that's wasted on the the listeners at home. For anybody at home, he just held up his uh, his book McConaughey book cover where the face covered his face. It was it was a pretty good effect. That was actually. a good effect. It's it's too bad that's not going to be witnessed by anyone other than us. <laughs> it's just for y'all. sometimes Michael, the universe is just for you. It is surprisingly simple once hmm. you learn. It is it's very subtle 
and it has to be learned in person with a trained teacher um, hmm. to receive your mantra and to learn how to use that properly. But over a few days, you can become expert in the practice of this technique. And, and then it's about doing it. It's about carving out the time. And hmm. you know, doing it is easy. Making the time to do it, that can be a challenge. And, and that's often people's biggest concern. But you know, you carve out time to eat every day. And you carve out time to get in bed at a reasonable time. And, you know, you, you are disciplined in your life for things mm. that feel worthwhile. And when you do meditation and you feel good when you do it and you notice some effects as a result, you do it regularly for a while and you're starting to experience an upgrade, then you want to keep doing it. And if you miss one, you don't feel as good. And that's a brilliant motivator. You know, you mm -hmm. meditate regularly and feel good. You start to normalize it. This is just how I am, right? And then you miss one meditation and you feel like hell warmed over. Great. I say wonderful. You know, coming back to <laughs> the addiction thing, people will say to me, it sounds like you get addicted to meditation. And I say, well, let's get really clear about the difference between addiction and dependency. I'm hmm. dependent on fresh water. I'm dependent on good food. I'm dependent on cuddles with my eight-year-old. I'm dependent on a good night's sleep. All those things make me feel good and help me be healthy and perform well. Hmm. No one accuses me of being addicted to any of those things. You don't get addicted to meditation. You do get dependent on it because your bar goes up. Your expectations for yourself rise. And then you have to do it in order to meet those expectations. And that happens quickly. And that's a, that is a positive, a positive thing, a positive good dependency. Yeah, that's, that's a great explanation. I was going to say, when you say the addiction, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was when you miss it, it sounds like it becomes when you miss a meal and your body starts telling you, I'm hungry. And, uh, and so if you miss this, then, you know, it's... That is that, awesome. That's, that is really that's... insightful. I think that's a great example. If I miss lunch, you know, I'm I'm not malnourished if I miss lunch once. But if mm -hmm. I miss lunch every day, I'm I'm probably not going to be as healthy as I want to be. If you miss meditation once in a while, you know, it's not we don't stress out about that. Life takes over once in a while, but I've got a, a regular strategy of meditating twice a day. That's cool. Hmm. I, t I was talking – I had lunch today with, uh, with a woman who's a student. She, she learned in 1972 and has been meditating regularly ever since. She and I met maybe – must be about 10 years ago. And she came to India with me on retreat and, and mm. has done some advanced things. And uh, really amazing, amazing woman with a remarkable history. And she was talking about a friend of hers who learned about the same time. She said January of 74 – and she said, this woman is the only person she knows who can say hand on heart she has never missed a meditation. Two meditations every day since 1974. Wow. <laughs> That's a roll, man. Oh, That's my really gosh. Wild. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, so when I was doing a little research before we chatted about, uh, about Vedic meditation, and I asked this because I was a little confused, and I bet other people might be too. But So what is the relationship, or if there is any, between Vedic meditation and transcendental meditation? Oh, I'm, I'm, it... I'm glad you asked this. So my teacher, Tom, learned to teach from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who's the man mm-hmm. who brought the technique out of India and to the West. He ended mm-hmm. up creating this term, Transcendental Meditation, and creating the, the TM organization. And Tom taught within that organization for about 25 years, mostly in Australia, but all, all around the world. Hmm. When he started teaching independently, he started using this more historical, descriptive term, Vedic Meditation. TM is na- is actually a proprietary term of what has become a multinational corporation. It's TM. The, TM? And, uh, like... the Kleenex of meditation. I sort of got that understanding as I was looking. It sounds, it very much sounds like a sort of a machine, a big operation. Well, it's, yeah. you know, it's a big organization. <clears throat> and like any good organization, it it is protective of its service marks and, and should sure. be. And so, so Tom uses this term Vedic meditation. He taught us to teach in exactly the same way. So we're teaching mm-hmm. this knowledge in the purity of the tradition in exactly the same same way. It's mm-hmm. right for us as independent teachers to use that, that same term of, of Vedic meditation. But this woman sure. who learned in 72, she learned from the TM organization. We have a lot of people who oh, okay. have, have learned over the years and then find us in various ways and we say brilliant you are doing exactly what we're teaching come on my retreat Mm. sit in on our group meditations you know when we we always have done meditation group meditations in person as a way to support our meditators once they learn they have ongoing access to us and we would rent a big hall in london and you know Twice a month, we'd have 60, 70 people come along and meditate together and ask questions. Um, had a guy who learned directly from Maharishi in 1968, just be- <laughs> a couple months before the Beatles learned f- from him, who, who came along cool. and, yeah, so <laughs> fantastic. And so much uh, more musician. I smoked a joint with the Beatles. Then, yeah, you know? right. <laughs> this, this guy was amazing. He'd written songs for Elvis and, you know, Oh, just, that's cool fascinating so you know we'd been doing this for 10 15 years doing these and three years ago someone said to us hey you know it's hard for me to make your sessions in person but there's this thing you might want to check out it's called zoom (laughs) and and i thought i I think you're gonna have to define that i don't think anybody's heard of it yeah well i i downloaded it onto my phone and i got a little tripod and I stuck my phone on the tripod and I would just talk talk to the room and if anybody wanted to log in I sent out the link and you know 10 11 people a few more January of 2020 there would be 20 30 people online and 70 people in the room um, middle of March when we locked down in London and, and New York was locked down as well we sent out an email and said, hey, everybody, we're, we're going to do, you know, let, let's come together as a community. Let's meditate together. Let's check in with each other. Wednesday, 6 o'clock London time, 1 in the afternoon in, in New York. 
500 people. I bet. And we thought, well, this is something, isn't it? This is something. And so every week. People were needing it, you know. Every week. And still, you know, last week, 120 people. Still, every week, every week, people coming back. And it's, you know, this is where when someone knows how to meditate, then technology can serve such a such a connecting purpose. You know, we can come together, we can answer questions, we can meditate together virtually, even even like that. That's a powerful experience. I was I was curious how the uh, the pandemic has changed your uh, your operation, how the centers have been run, and if you've been able to continue doing what you do. Yeah, well, I mean, we we couldn't teach because that does have to be in person. So. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that big chunk of time. And, and London, you know, had one of the, the most severe, or the UK generally, had one of the most significant lockdowns in, in the world. It's It's mm-hmm. been so, so poorly handled here. And it's just been, you know... You should it's come been to Arkansas, a, son. <laughs> it's been a disaster. <laughs> a, yeah, yeah we, we don't need to compete. We've all done a really shit oh job with this. God. Yeah, really. <laughs> Really, you gonna tell me to put on no damn mask, son? What? Why you gonna try to take my gun? Gonna put a mask on me and put a chip in my blood? Give give me the chip. I'll take the chip. (laughs) Please, I'll take it. Just give me the chip. in. I'm in. I'm in the Dallas area, and Socha's in Arkansas. Right, you guys uh, are in Arkansas. Arkansas in particular, like, has like a thirty percent vaccination rate, or something. It's one of the lowest in the country, and has one like just climbing rates, particularly with the Delta variant. It's it's turning into a hotbed. We were we were not only beating everybody. it, It wasn't. It was no longer, I mean, you should have put in the mercy rule. We had, like, double everybody else. And, I mean, yeah. we're, we were probably, I think we might have the smallest uh, population, especially, like, per capita for space. Oh, oh yeah. like, the least populated state. Is that yeah. No, that can't be right. Yeah, from yeah. Montana or somebody's got to be Yeah, I must say there. Montana or something like that. But they're a lot bigger. Mm. Anyway, mm. sorry. So... So there was a big chunk of time that we weren't teaching in person, but actually what it did was because we we had been very busy in teaching new people to meditate. And when we couldn't do that, it allowed us to really put our attention on this, you know, large group of people, five must be, you know, thousands, thousands of people that we have taught. All of a sudden we could put more attention on them. So we spent a lot of time doing personal consultation work, doing small group work, doing these large group meditations. Um, We started a series we called Conscious Conversations where we brought in experts to talk about various topics. And we were able to really connect and create a community. At the same time, um, my partner Jillian wrote a book called Why Meditate Because It Works. Jillian Lavender <laughs> will be available in the U.S. in February of next year. You can get it on your Kindle or your Nook right now. And, Excellent. you know, it's this amazing book that doesn't teach you how to meditate like books try to do. It tells you mm-hmm. why you should track down a teacher and actually learn in such a clear way. It goes into the science. And, you know, she spent three months fulfilling the request of a publisher who'd come to her and wouldn't wouldn't have been as easy to do. Not that it was easy, but would have been a much greater challenge if we hadn't been at home that entire time. Right. 
So, right. you know, we, we were able to put to use the time. And, uh, you know, I created uh, a podcast as well. That's a fantastic pivot. Um, I was going to, I'd written down, I wanted to ask you about sort of the benefits of, of uh, Vedic meditation. We've really covered a lot of that. Although I do have to ask, like I've seen a lot of pictures on your website and I got to know if, if I really get serious about this, am I going to be able to look that good in a suit? Cause like, <laughs> man, you're looking svelte. You look fantastic. You photograph well. <laughs> It, you you just you get professionals to do those things. Uh, <laughs> no, Told you. you can't. Is it going to make me a better lover? Penile growth? Anything? Well, yeah. can you add does, two inches to my? Does entree? stress make you a better lover? No, it does not. So no, you're right. So let's right. assume you that you being less stressed, you know, blood flow improves. And, I like it. Uh, you know, to be in the moment, to not He's be speaking anxious. our language. So I know. Really I'm good. sitting here thinking about. I'm going to try my mantra in another place. <laughs> so give us, yeah, give us the short run. We're, we're running up on an hour here. We've taken up a lot of your time, but tell us, like, how uh, you know, if somebody wanted to learn Vedic meditation, what are the steps that they would need to take? Well, find a teacher, and you know many large english speaking cities in the world now have have a teacher that either is there in residence or travels there and mm-hmm. there are maybe 200 of us around the world who are teaching with some some regularity and so if mm-hmm. if you do a search for you know chicago vedic meditation somebody's going mm-hmm. to pop up you know certainly L.A. and New York and London and Sydney and some of sure. these bigger places, you're going to find multiple people. But there mm-hmm. are people who are in Albuquerque and in Miami and who travel in Boston and, and travel to different places. So you do a little search. Um, you can also look to the Transcendental Meditation Organization. What you want mm-hmm. to be sure is that you're learning in person – over four days. And so there are people who sort of claim to be teaching techniques like this, but they're doing it partly or completely online. And you're not going to so learn So there's properly. no shortcuts, There's right? not a shortcut. There's not a shortcut. You need to be in the room with somebody for, mm. you know, 90 minutes, four days in a row. So, mm. you know, it's not a, a crazy commitment, but it's a commitment that asks you to step up and really learn properly, go off, practice on your own, come back the next day, get a mm. complete understanding of the technique and how to fit it into your life and the effects that you can expect going forward. When you have experience of meditation and an intellectual understanding of what it is and what's happening, then you have complete knowledge. And that's what gives you expertise and self-sufficiency. That's great. If you want to connect with me, you can look at LondonMeditationCenter.com and NewYorkMeditationCenter.com. You can also look at uh, JillianLavender.com to see her book. And also she'll be leading a a Learn to Meditate retreat in Portugal in January. So somebody feels like a bit of a luxury experience, you know. Hang out by the pool in the sunshine that sounds, and learn that to sounds meditate. All right. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> I, I won't be going. <laughs> I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be on the school run back in London. <laughs> so, is there a uh, is there a path to enlightenment in the Vedic tradition? 
Yeah. Is that a, is Yes. Show up and meditate. Expand mm-hmm. your consciousness. You know, reconnect with your source. There is one thing in the universe, one whole indivisible field of energy and intelligence, and you are that. You are not mm-hmm. separate from that. You are that. We don't have to connect with it. We have to recognize. We have to recognize that is who we are at our basis. That's what you touch when your mind settles down and you step beyond thinking into pure being. That's the unified mm-hmm. field. That's the absolute. That's the transcendent. Some people might call that God. Mm-hmm. You are touching that which is everything. And you do that regularly, twice a day, every day. That starts to become your self-definition. Instead of your bank account and your zip code and your marital status and the number of bedrooms you have in your house and how many cities you visited last year and all those things that people use to Mm -hmm. judge themselves, where their hairline is and what their waistline (laughs) is like and... You know, the attractiveness of their partner and all of these things that are not who you are. That's not who you are. Who you are is bliss and creativity and intelligence and energy. But that cannot be simply an idea. You can't make a mood of being enlightened. You need to peer into and experience that place and more and more infuses who you are and then you carry it out into the world and then the zip code that you live in and the person that you cuddle with and the money you have in the bank all become stages upon which you deliver your state of enlightenment to the world so enlightenment is not about me it's about everyone and everything. It's about taking the very best of you, your full potential into the world and delivering that enlightenment, delivering fulfillment. I'm not going somewhere to get fulfilled. I am fulfilled and I'm taking it to the marketplace. You are not a seeker. You are a founder. That's the place from which you want to operate. Man, I got chills. That was good. Yeah. One uh, one other question I had for you. You've mentioned you have a you have a daughter. Is that right? Yes. Or, uh, so w- I have three kids. Uh, Sosh has a couple of kids too. I'm curious uh, about introducing children to meditation. What are your thoughts on that? Is there? I think it's great. Kids. It? I mean, kids have an innate sense of there being something more because they're not very far from that. They came out of that field more recently, and they haven't forgotten. And, you know, so we teach kids around the age of six or so, depending on on their maturity. They learn a really simple little mantra, what we call a word of wisdom. And they think Mm -hmm. that with their eyes open while they're getting dressed or sitting in the back of the car or whatever. And then around the age of 11 or so, they learn eyes closed adult meditation. And Mm -hmm. they meditate for as many minutes as they are years old. And so every birthday they get to add a minute. And... You know, I know a few people who learned when they were very young, got a word of wisdom when they were six or seven or eight, and now they're in their 40s. And fascinating people. Fascinating. Mm. You know, they've never held on to stress. 
in the way that the rest of us did. You can get stressed as a meditator, but you don't stay stressed. Actually, on on my podcast called Speaking of Meditation, in a couple of weeks I'm going to have uh, a episode with someone that we taught when she was 13, and she's now in her mid-20s. And her story of what that meant to her as an adolescent growing up in London in the private school system, like super intense academics, Cambridge, like the whole thing, and, mm. you know, now has a, has a very full-on job. And, you know, what her life is like, what she – she says, I don't know what I would be like without meditation because it's never not been there. But when when she looks at herself in comparison to her peers, she seems to be experiencing the world in a different way. And now in her mm-hmm. mid-20s, all of her friends are saying, hey, that thing that I used to make fun of you for, can you tell me <laughs> yeah. how to do that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, no. Maybe there's something to this. Yeah. <laughs> when she was 17, they're like, oh, your body's a temple. Oh, you meditate. Now they're like, <laughs> they're, they're on anti-anxiety medication, and they're saying, how do yeah, I get right. me some of that? <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, so, uh, that's that's let... sort of a perfect segue to sort of end up the conversation. Just tell, give the give our listeners a kind of brief description of your podcast, what it's about, and what you'll be doing there. Yeah. So, speaking of meditation, is about it's it's me interviewing people who meditate and talking to them about how they came to the practice, what it was that led them to the desire to learn, how they made that connection originally. And how it's impacting their life. You know, what, why do they continue to meditate? My, my first episode is out. Really amazing architect, a woman named Roz Barr, and her story of growing up in Scotland and how she went to fine art school and became an award-winning architect and what meditation has meant for her as far as creativity and calm and ability to deal with the challenges of you know, a, a very demanding career and, you know, how she just laughs more as as a result. You know, hmm. we have meditation is meant to make us happier and spread that happiness around. And, and I hope that hearing the stories of these people will hmm. inspire people to learn and and also keep people who have already learned inspired about their their practice. You know, we we want to be we want to be doing this and we want to be feeling good about it. And we have a serious responsibility not to be too serious. <laughs> hey. We're good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for giving us your time and coming on the show. It's, it's just been a blast chatting with you. I feel like we've, we've got a lot to share with our listeners and, and ourselves personally. Yeah. Um, is pretty lit up over there. Did you have any further last questions, Sosh? No, no. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. Uh, Michael, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, especially when you start talking about the kids. Um, uh, yeah, I'd like to, like to reach out and uh, possibly, you know, come up and see you for four days with, with the family. I think, uh, I think it might do uh, a lot of healing here. So. I think it would be, I think it'd be brilliant. And I think the thing to do, I always tell everybody this, you know, learn yourself, you learn, and then let's see what happens with everybody else in your life. Because okay. 
every like we were saying before, everybody comes to it at the right time, and you know to have the you know one of the heads of household meditating and changes the atmosphere of the entire family. You become this still, stable center that has such a profound impact on your children and on your partner and on your friends. So he's saying, and on he's your saying Amanda should do it. <laughs> I tell you, again, usually, usually it's the woman who learns and says to me, oh, you know, I just think my husband should do this. And I say, you know what? You learn. Let, let your husband work it out himself because he's going to see something change in you and so should it happen for you you know you will learn I'm, and either they just get so much benefit from you doing it that you know that's enough for some people not everyone's going to learn to meditate not everyone's going to learn if a few people are that's changing the environment and they might look at you and go okay next next time next time let's let's get this done yeah, I don't know. I'm getting visions of a Brody Sopper road show. Um, <laughs> the two of us in New York. I'm carrying the mic. Getting better, brother. I like yeah. it. I think that's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah, done. Awesome. Done and All done. Right. Awesome. Done and done. <laughs> Thanks so much, Michael. It's Fellas, it's been really great speaking. I'm impressed by what you're doing. It's a, it's a service to, to men, and it's admirable your willingness to open up. And, you know, I know you joke around, and... There's a serious, a uh, a sincere intent behind this. Not every man, and actually a very tiny, tiny percentage, is self-examining to the degree that the two of you are, both in yourselves and in your relationship with each other. And I'm, I I just can't be more impressed. Oh, thanks so much, man. Wow, that's um, yeah. Shut up, Michael. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) 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 Thanks. That's a a powerful, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thank you. Gentlemen, thanks a lot. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. God knows we always do. Don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to follow along on this journey. And please join us. Let's get better together, or at the very least, 10% less shitty. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse at True Brody Sattva. That's true, T-R-U. And don't forget to check in at our blog, thebrodysattva.com, to keep up to date on what's going on in our world. As always, this show is written by Enoch Daniel and Sosh Woodbine, and produced by me. And special thanks to Scott Holmes, who wrote our theme music. Until next time, keep working, keep seeking, and keep living that Brody Sot for life. Bye now. <laughs>